Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Dios te bendiga. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I didn't sneeze. Uh, Dios te bendiga means God bless you, and that's one of the, the many things that, that we, uh, we learned or we, we uh, blessed people with or we were blessed with when we, we uh, met a lot of people on this journey that we had. And so many of you may know and some of you may not know that uh, Amy and I uh, took a trip um, about a week ago, a week and a half ago, uh, to a place called Cuba, 90 miles off our, our shore of Florida. And uh, we arrived back on Thursday morning at 1.30. Uh, we landed at the house, and uh, we just conked out for the rest of the day uh, on, on Friday. But um, let me just say, first of all, um, it is good to be back with the church, with our tribe, uh, with our folks, um, with you. It is really, really good to be back with you. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to take about 30 to 40 minutes and just kind of share a little bit about the trip and about our experience in Cuba um, because uh, n- not everybody can go to things like this. And so if, if not everybody can go, we want to try our best to take you there and be a part of that. And we felt it was really important that our Pier 252 class, um, that you're a part of this. And so boys and girls, um, our students, we are glad that you're with us and we hope that you hear some things that are interesting may be funny, and that you will always remember. How many of you got the coin already? If you have a coin, raise, raise the coin up. Raise the coin up. Um, if you have the coin, raise the coin up. If you have not gotten a coin today, my wife, right here, mi esposa, has your dinero for you, your peso for you. So come down to see her at the end of service. We want to make sure that you boys and girls get, get a peso. And so, first, I, 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 want, I want to explain why Cuba. Uh, why here? Um, when did this happen? Um, so, it was about seven years ago, my wife and I were sitting at Upper Valley Community Church, now called the Valley, down in Piqua. That's where she worked. Um, we were sitting in service like you. And Paul Jetter, who has been here before, uh, about two or three times, he had returned from a trip just like we did and he shared about his experience there and I don't know if she looked at me or I looked at her or we looked at each other at the same time but we both knew in that moment we need to go there Um, I I don't know if you remember that Uh, and it has taken us seven years to get there and uh, we heard his trip and thought man we, we need to be a part of that moment. And so that's why Cuba. And so today, we just kind of want to share a little bit about the body of Christ down there and about those experiences. Um, 
Lord laid it on our hearts about seven years ago. So uh, may the Lord lay something on your heart today, um, and hopefully you get there quicker than we did. That would be great. So, uh, um, <laughs> so what we did, first of all, Cube is beautiful. Um, I, 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 we're, we're just going to run through a bunch of pictures here, but it is just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Obviously, it's tropical. It's an island. Uh, that's a baseball field in the middle of grass that doesn't look like a baseball field. It looks like an alien landing pod. Um, and they don't have lawnmowers, so the, the goats and the horses, they mow the lawn for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we did a lot of traveling, a lot of traveling and seeing the countryside. It literally felt like we stepped into a time capsule. Kind of like when you walk in here on Sunday morning, you feel like you walked into 1978 or 80. Um, I know. I have a deep appreciation for, because my childhood was in a church like this, so I have a deep appreciation for that. But it literally felt like you stepped into, into a different time and a different place. Uh, obviously, it was a different place because it was Cuba. Um, but it was a different time. Um, and... Uh, the things that we, we experienced and saw were just gorgeous. This is a coffee tree. We were just driving down, and there it is. Um, it is just a gorgeous place. On a hike, we saw cacao trees. We were, we were hiking to a church, and there's a cacao tree just out of nowhere. This is, this is a cacao tree is where, what, what you get chocolate from. Yeah, there you go. See, there you go. <laughs> Coffee, chocolate. <laughs> it kind of resonates with my wife and I. I don't know why, but we just love it. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. We were just hiking to a church, and there it is. And there were tree after tree after tree after tree. And it was just gorgeous. And like true Nazarenes, like you did last Sunday, you ate. You had the soup and salad and sandwiches, right? Uh, we, we ate, and we ate, and we ate. Did I mention? Yeah, we ate, <laughs> and we ate some more. We literally ate a lot, and then we ate some more. Uh, that is a hog that Rico right there was butchering, and I, in my uh, broken sp- uh, 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 Spanish, uh, I said, can I help you? And he gave, I was able to take the, the machete and start chopping away. It was awesome. My hand was right up in that hog. It was great. <laughs> Before the trip, Stephen had uh, tried to learn the Spanish way to say, can I help you? Um, cook. He wanted to learn how to cook, and we discovered as we would get to the places, they already had everything cooked up, and so finally <laughs> he was able to figure out how to ask if he could help, and, and they graciously allowed him to, to help with the hog. <laughs> yeah, graciously. It was fun, uh, and w- we spent a lot of time in this bus, a lot of time, um, did I say we traveled? Because we traveled. And we traveled. And I don't know about you, I hear a lot of complaints about Ohio potholes. <laughs> right? 
You see that vehicle right there? This is an Ohio pothole. This is a Cuban pothole. All right? And it doesn't stop. <laughs> it doesn't stop. There is no such thing as smooth asphalt anywhere. Maybe in Havana, but definitely not on the western portion of Cuba because we had to take one of those bad boys up into the mountains because, you th seriously, you think these potholes in, on our streets are horrible? Just take a ride in that bad boy. You have to hold on for dear life. I literally, I, I don't know about you, did, you did, did your derriere feel really, really bad the next day? I was in pain, and so was the rest of our crew. It was just a rough ride. Um, but, uh, and we ate. Did I say that? Because I, 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 I think we ate a whole lot. They were so gracious. They prepared a lot of meals for us. Primarily, it was, it was hog. Um, every now and then, you'd, you'd have lamb, which was absolutely impeccable. Um, what else? Did we well, the, the thing off to the right that looks like a potato, that's called yuca, and that was the first time I'd ever tried it, and it does taste pretty similar to a potato, but it would be interesting. Um, all of the meals wherever we went, uh, <coughs> they were the same. So every meal we were served yuca, and we were served like the salad plate, and we were served uh, rice and beans and stuff, but it was all delicious. But, you know, we're so used to having all this variety um, here that it, you would go and you would know what you were going to eat. So lots of fruits. The bananas there were delicious. Plantains, bananas, uh, guava, which I didn't care much for. I tried whatever I could try. Uh, and, yes, I did get sick on the trip. I don't think I've ever had a trip that I didn't get sick on. Yes, I got sick on this very shortly. Uh, and don't drink coffee from that tree um, that I was under. So, uh, <laughs> so, and we just, we got to share our, exper our, our time with people. Uh, this is Mary, um, it, Mary sitting in the chair, and Marilyn, who was uh, a bed and breakfast uh, owner, and her husband, and they treated us very, very well um, when we were in uh, Hamal, and uh, it was just a really good experience just to hang out with the people. Uh, but this trip, um, many of you, when you think of mission trip, um, you think of, hey, we're going to go take hammers and shovels, and we're going to do a lot of pouring of concrete, digging of trenches, and uh, we're going to do a lot of manual labor, what we call in the Nazarene church called a work and witness trip. Um, this was not a work and witness trip. Um, this, and some of you may in the past have heard about mission trips where you go and you evangelize, meaning you share the gospel with people that um, have probably never heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in him. And this was not that type of trip. Um, as Paul Jetter would call, call this, this was an encouragement trip. And you say, what in the world's an encouragement trip? Well, let's share a little bit about Cuba. I don't know if you know, but, um, oh, there's more stuff there. Um, that, was, uh, that was cacao uh, in a cup. It tasted delicious. Uh, sorry. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you know, but Cuba went through a revolution back in the 50s. Um, they had, uh, their president was Batista, and uh, Batista, in his second 
term uh, around 1952 became more of a dictator than a president. And as a, as a dictator, what ended up happening were the impoverished people, the working class, the farmer, began to be used and abused in a majority of the country, and a lot of the policies were used and abused. And so what started happening in the country at that time were movements. One of those movements, you probably know the name Fidel, Fidel Castro. He was, the, he was of the 26th of July movement, along with his brother, uh, Raul, as well as uh, Che Guevara. And there were other facets, but what they sought to do was to uh, create a coup and remove Batista from power. Well, from 1952, it wasn't until 1959 that he was ousted and he was found uh, in, in the Dominican Republic uh, because he fled. And Fidel entered in uh, as the prime minister of Cuba. And from 59 to 61, he really still talked about the working class and, and the, the impoverished. And, but what eventually ended up happening was there became revolution. And even in 2020... So we're talking 1959, 60, 61, forward, over 50 years ago at least. Um, there are still signs in the country that of the communist regime and the revolution, which it is still a communist country. And this says, it says, El Partido es al, al ama de la revolución cubana. The party is the soul of the Cuban Revolution. This says, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but we will not give up on one of our principles. It is very evident that Cuba and the revolution that Fidel put in place and the communist regime is there. It's in front of the people day in and day out. And it's very evident that the revolution, the socialist communist revolution did not help the poor or the impoverished people. It did not give them a hand up. The government promised that they would take care of the people, but really the people are having to take care of themselves on all facets and forms. But one of the things that's really pertinent to our conversation that we're going to go into, my wife and I are going to go into, is that during the revolution, one of the things that Fidel started to do was land grab. And he land grabbed from those people, those owners of land that were foreigners. And the churches, particularly the Church of the Nazarene, many of the owners of the land were pastors. There were... I can't recall how many churches that were a part of the Church of the Nazarene during the revolution. But what ended up happening was those pastors that were there, they actually had to, many of those non-Cuban pastors had to give over the deed of land for church and property to a trusted member of the congregation. I don't know about you. Are any of you here willing to take a deed of Wapak Naz just in case there was a revolution. They gave the deed to those one trusted member that was Cuban, and the pastor no longer owned the home, 
Many churches were land grabbed. Many churches came under confiscation of the government. And the Church of the Nazarene and other churches had to kind of go a little bit underground, so to speak. And so what has been affected is that the communist regime does not see pastors as vital to their communities. They don't see the church as vital to the communities. They don't see that a pastor is a, is a legitimate position. In fact, one of the things, and you can kind of correct me here, um, one of the things that we found out was when you were of school age, if you were of school age, going through um, not only primary school, but secondary school, in secondary school, you would actually take a test. You would take a test, and then the results would be given to the government, and you would actually choose some things. You would list down some things that you would like to do. So if you wanted to be a florist, if you wanted to be a policeman, if you wanted to be a teacher, if you wanted to be whatever, you would write those as your first, second, third, fourth, all the way down. And those would be along with your tests. And when the government would look at your test results, they would actually tell you what you're going to do. So if you wanted to be a teacher and they thought, no, you're going to be a farmer, you're a farmer. That's what you do. You're going to farm. And so this really impacts the people and this is, impacts the church. And so the encouragement trip was a lot like what we find in Scripture, quite frankly. There's a Scripture that really stuck out to me as we were on this trip and as I was thinking about this trip. It says, when he, Barnabas, arrived, arrived to Antioch. This is in the Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When, Paul, when, when Barnabas arrived to Antioch and saw the evidence of God's grace, of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. Them, that's the church. The church there in Antioch. And all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Folks, pastors make... I don't know, how much? The average that pastors make is $20 a month. Um, we met some pastors on the trip that were only making maybe $12 a month, and uh, their spouses didn't work as well, so they're trying to live off of very, very little there. So when we talk about encouragement trip, the congregations, the church folk, you, me, the pastors, the leaders, the spouses, they need some encouragement. They need to be spurred on. Um, they need people to come in there and say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the effort because God loves you and God's got a plan and he wants you to do a mighty work in your community. And when pastors are making 20 bucks a month, it's less than a dollar a day. I mean, I don't know, can you survive on less than a dollar a day? I don't know if I could. I really don't. Making less than a dollar a day, and they're trying to do the work of the Lord, they need people to come in and speak into their life. You, you probably know that yourself. In the life that you live, that's why we have the church. That's why we need the church. 
And so we're going to share some stories and some experiences that we had and that really stuck out from this journey while we were in Cuba, this encouragement trip. And so um, you want to share a little bit about some of these pictures here as we kind of go forward? Well, some of these upcoming pictures are just some pictures of the churches. And you would find churches of all different sizes, from ones that this was a little bit larger they crowd in. You don't have any room to your right or to your left, just all next to each other, on top of each other. And um, they just, when they're worship, they just worship with everything out of them. And it's just a wonderful thing to be, um, to be in their presence and in their midst. Whatever instruments they have, they'll play. In fact, there was one church we visited, and uh, Stephen ended up in the front row, and because uh, that was <laughs> the only seat that was open, they had him go up and and, uh, Hello to all you him. in the back. <laughs> they actually handed him an instrument to play, like right in the service. So that was kind of interesting. That'd be really awkward. <laughs> so next week, I'm just going to hand somebody a tambourine. See how that goes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And and this this church here, um, th- this was their identifying mark on a electrical pole. This is how you know this is the Church of the Nazarene right there. Um. When we went in the evening, there was, it was so tight. Um, well, I don't know about you. Hopefully, y'all put deodorant on uh, today. Um, but we would know if you didn't in this church. Um, we were really, really tight. Uh, there's a lot of space between you and the next person in this, in this congregation. There was no space. Uh, their kids were in there worshiping along. And then there was overflow in the right picture. It overflowed to the outside. What a day that would be if we actually had to set chairs out in our lobbies. That would be absolutely amazing because of the movement of God. and Because of God using you and inviting people and loving people. Um, And so this is my wife in that service. Um, She did a little... uh, she has a skill that may, maybe you might not know. She can juggle. Um, and she has a little sermon that she does about perseverance, pushing on. And uh, you did a great job. It was awesome. Um, and Paul was translating for her because uh, as good as she's gotten with her, with her Spanish, she, she definitely couldn't put a sermon together either. Um, and so, and this was, I was really, this was a really cool moment because after the service, these kids ran up to her and, and she was trying to teach them how to juggle uh, with, um, what are those? Scarves. Um, and uh, this, was the, this was the first church uh, that we arrived at and met along the way to Santiago de Cuba. Um, there was a story here about the washer. Do you want to share that? Well, the, I guess the last group that was down there had um, heard about how just, you know, they don't have washing machines. They have to wash everything by hand. And, um, and so they saw that, that this lady, that there was a need there for a washing machine. And so that group decided to go and purchase her a machine. And their washing machines don't look anything like ours. They're very, very small, but allows them to wash the clothes and then they hang them up to dry. They don't have any dryers down there. Um, and so uh, she said, she had shared with us, she showed us the washing machine and she was just all smiles. And she said every time she washes her clothes, she thanks the Lord for the blessing of that washing machine and the group that blessed her. And um, it was just really neat <laughs> to see. I'm pretty sure 
I don't remember the last time I praised the Lord uh, when I washed my clothes. Nope. Uh, So this was a a little bit larger of a church, um, had a little bit more space. um, But what we found was, and this is Jorge uh, on the right, uh, and on the left is Lionel. He's the district superintendent for the western portion of Cuba. He actually, he and his wife were here about two years ago. Uh, his wife, Magdalas, um, and uh, we had a translator come in, and, and as he preached, uh, they translated for him, and that's Paul Jetter uh, behind him. Uh, he is the reason that we are on this trip and encouraging, and um, I don't know if you could see, uh, babe, do you want to share a little bit about the church itself? Well, the, because they don't really have the freedom to go buy properties and make it like this is the church, what generally what they would do is they would have house churches. And so you would go and you would visit um, a church and the pastor's family was living there. And then the church was essentially their living room. So this is their living room. That's the church. And if you see the cloths there to 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 the the left, left. um, that's an entrance to a bedroom or a bathroom or their kitchen. Um, and so, and we would find this everywhere. You would walk in and you would have your big room, which would be like their living room. And then the bedrooms and the kitchens and the bathrooms was all to the left. And, and if some were lucky enough to have a door, there might be a door. But most of the time you would find the cloth that would hide their living quarters. And that was how they could have a church. And um, so it was really interesting to see and, and most of them did not have separate bedrooms, and so everybody slept in the same room, and um, <laughs> it was very, very simple. And again, that's part of that's a part of why, or that's a, a byproduct of the revolution and some of the rules and regulations. Um, this is Jeanette, and she that was our our first evening there in Cuba, and she made us some coffee. So we did a lot of coffee drinking. Um, and she was very hospitable to us as we um, visited with her and, and Jorge and had those conversations. And uh, we heard a lot of stories and testimonies um, from pastors. Um, stories of, of miraculous healing. Stories of um, on the verge of death. Um, God bringing them um, to salvation, um, choosing, uh, choosing Christ and choosing God over staying with their family who would kick them out. This is one of those pastors that um, had a, a very hard life before he chose Jesus and even after he chose Jesus, had a hard life. Um, and so this is another young lady. She's a pastor. And one of the things that we found out was one, a portion of the roof was taken off during the last hurricane about two years ago. The other part is, uh, you can see um, there, well, you can't see it there, but uh, her her banyo was backed up. um, And the church uses her personal bathroom. So the the banyo that's upstairs and the banyo that is downstairs is backed up because the government said, we'll come in We'll take care of the sewage, but they haven't been able to get in there or have not gone in there. And so this is the problem not only the church is having, but the community that surrounds her is having is that they really can't use their bathrooms anymore 
because they're backed up and the sewage has not been removed. And so Lionel and Paul uh, really just trying to figure out the needs of this pastor and her church um, and what we can do to help provide for them. And so um, I'd like to share this story with you. Um, this is a, a young lady that we met so many pastors. I don't even remember her name. Um, and this is her husband and their two kids. Uh, we actually had to walk about an hour and 20 minutes uh, up a mountain to get to their church. Um, so her story is this. Before she became a pastor, well, very early she was a believer in Jesus Christ. Her family was Christian. And uh, that's not always the case in Cuba. But her family was a, was a Christian family. And she had received Jesus very early. She was very, very talented um, as an artist. And uh, when she took the test and did all those things, they actually said, we'd love for you to be, a, we want you to be a teacher. And so she was an art teacher at a school. She was making $50 a month, which is a lot for a Cuban. Her job... The school took her four hours to walk to, to get to. She started at 5 a.m. She walked four hours. So if you say maybe she walked uh, two miles an hour, do the math, that's eight miles. Could be a little bit further. She walked four hours, got there, worked four hours, and walked back four hours. Her day was a 12-hour day from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., not to mention all the things that she needs to do at home. During that time, she loved what she did. It was a government-sanctioned position. It was government money. And she, was do she loved what she did. But God started to move in her heart and her life. And she sensed that she was called to be a pastor. And so she and her husband, who had a good job as well, prayed and prayed and thought through this and they both came to the conclusion yes this is what God is calling and speaking into our spirits we're going to choose this so she resigned from her position of $50 a month and I believe they were only making now as a pastor $20 a month 12 is it $12 a month um She's now making $12 a month as a pastor. She makes that journey, that hour and a half journey that she has to hike up and down the mountain several times a day. Her husband does not have a position because they had to move. Uh, he does not have a job. And so they are living the life they believe that God has called them to. And they are ecstatic about what God has called them to. Now, I don't know about you, but if God asked you to leave your job, a good-paying job, to do something for Him that you know He was calling you to, would you do it? Her life asks us that question. Her choices ask us that question. There was so much joy in their, in their life. Their bathroom, 
their bathroom were palm tree shavings. So those big pieces of palm tree. They were formed into a teepee. And that was their bathroom outside of their home, their ranchita. A ranchita is a small wooden house. What a story that she gives us. Um, would you mind kind of sharing a little bit about, oh, I was going to do this one? I've been talking a lot. I'm really sorry. I do that. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> um, this is... Uh, Erdalis and his wife Anna, they met, uh, he, he is the pastor in Hamal, um, they met in youth group, uh, she was definitely younger than he was, Lionel, the district superintendent that we met, he was the youth leader at the time, when Lionel left to be the pastor of Mycenae in the mountains, Erdalis became the youth leader at the church, when Lionel left my sea in the mountains to pastor elsewhere, Erdalis followed Lionel and became the pastor at my sea. But see, that's not the real story here. The real story about Erdalis was his father was a staunch communist. He was actually a part of the Communist Party. He had no need nor want, did not care for God nor Jesus Christ. And any family member that would have anything to do with God or Jesus or the church would not live in his home. One day, Erdalis received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was late in his teens. What he decided to do was he was not going to tell his father that he received Jesus and that he has this newfound relationship with the Creator Almighty. But he would keep it hidden. And for some time that worked. But his father picked up on some of the behaviors and some of the consistencies in his life. Not only going to leaving the house during certain periods of time, i.e. church or youth group, but he was seeing some things in his character that were different. God was transforming his life. And one day his father cornered him and wanted to know, did you receive Jesus Christ? Do you believe in God? And he could no longer hide it. And as a 17-year-old, he was kicked out of his house for his belief in Jesus Christ. He went and found a place to live. He still was connected with his church, and it was his church, it was the people that he met with weekly and almost daily, that really kept his faith and his belief in Jesus going. And he didn't care whether his father didn't want him in the house. He was going to follow Jesus Christ with his whole life. Now, Iridalis is a pastor of a church that is booming of about 45 people. About three kilometers away, there are 16 people that have received Christ as a result of his ministry, and that he's looking to find a place to build to have a church. In the mountains, when he was in Mycenae, he actually planted four churches. God got a hold of his life. In fact, he actually had to travel from Hamal and ride up the mountains on a bicycle with his wife on the back of the bike (laughs) 
to get to that pastorate and to love his people and their community. Iridalis was an amazing man. And he really shed some kindness on us because he knows that these gringos can't speak Spanish. So he really spoke really, really slowly for us so that we could understand his story. Um, this story I'd like to share, this is a church we visited. Um, so in Cuba, there's actually 155 uh, Church of the Nazarene that are in the country of Cuba. But there are also several um, places that they call missions meaning it's not um, an official church yet, but they're trying to plant a church, trying to get it started. Um, and so this is one of the missions that we visited. Pretty much what you see is how big it was. Um, we walked up uh, to, and I believe this was in Guantanamo too, if yes, I remember right, Guantanamo. and went to the mission, uh, the pastor there. And one of the things that we were instructed to do um, was to look for some different needs that might be around us. Um, and even beyond that, but, you know, what are the, the churches trying to do to meet those needs, and is there any way that we can help? We all brought an extra suitcase with us, each individual person, a big suitcases full of stuff, whether it be cooking wear um, or clothes or whatever, and so is there somebody within there with a need, and is there a way that we Sorry. can help fill it? Um, and so when we arrived at this church, there were two little girls that were outside the church. And um, one of the lines that I had gotten pretty good saying in Spanish was, you know, what is your name? And so I went up to the two girls and asked them, and, you know, how old are you? And just some of those basic things that you learn in, in Spanish class. And, um, and so we went up to see the church, and I noticed that one of the girls had gone up, um, but the other girl had not, and she was probably about four or five years old or so that hadn't gone up, and uh, one of the things that was given to me to um, give to the kids was um, little matchbox cars that I gave to the boys and little, my little ponies about that big that I could give to the girls, and I knew that five-year-old would be the perfect, you know, age for one of those My Little Ponies, so I got up and I went over to the older girl who um, looked like, you know, a teenager or so, and and I asked her, you know, where is, where is your sister in my Spanish? And she was having a hard time understanding me. And uh, with, with my practicing Spanish, that was one of the things I was able to get pretty well to other people. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm saying it wrong. And so I tried to <laughs> say it again, you know, the, the little girl, where is your sister? I have a gift for her is what I tried to say. I, don't, I really don't know what they heard, but that's what I was trying to say to her. <laughs> And, um, and so uh, she, she just still looked at me like she couldn't understand. And um, so then the boy next to her, he came over, and he explained to um, us um, with the best way that we could understand that uh, she couldn't hear. Um, she wasn't able to hear. She had to read lips. Well, if you're a new Spanish speaker... That There's doesn't no go way over she's well. going to be able to read my lips. Not at all. And so <laughs> we, um, at that point, we needed somebody that could speak a little bit better Spanish. And so I asked Mary to come over and, you know, here's a, a girl that can't hear. And is there something that we can do to, to try to help with that? We had some funds that maybe we were able to, to do something to help her. And uh, so Mary came over and, and we ended up finding out that she had a hearing aid, but the batteries she doesn't have batteries for it. She was all out of batteries. And so a simple fix was she just needs a battery. And um, so uh, it, with 
through the translation process, we, we let her know we're going back to the state. We took a picture of what the battery looks like. We'll get one. There's another group coming, and then you'll be able um, to have a battery for it. And, um, and you can just see the look on her face when she was told that she might be able to hear something again. Um, but just stories like that were just very touching. Um, some of the simple things that we have access to, you know, Amazon, we can go buy a battery, or even um, the lady, Marilyn, that we stayed with at the bed and breakfast, she was asking us if we had any AA or AAA batteries, something simple we can run to the grocery and get that they just have no access to. But um, uh, the second story I was going to share that he was moving on to is uh, I, I think I learned best with adventures, I think. You know, you're on an adventure, and this was early on in the trip, and uh, this was our adventure up the mountain that he showed you the picture where we were, uh, the bus couldn't take us, could only take us to a certain point, so now we needed to get in this wagon thing to go the rest of the way. And so on the way, um, we went to this church, and, and again, the house church, you could see the, the living quarters there in that picture are to the left, and then towards the right inside is going to be where the church is. And so we stopped there and, and visited. Um, this is a pastor's um, husband that's in this picture. And again, you can see the living quarters there. And then this is just a very, very simple church up the mountain. And uh, we found out that there had been uh, a group that had come before, and they had given them some funds to um, do the outside of it so that the roof wouldn't leak any longer. But um, the, the living quarters still weren't finished yet where the family could move into the house and they were walking three miles uh, to get to their church and they really wanted to be there so that they could minister to their people but it was wonderful to see um, how you know sometimes when when you give uh, to different places you don't always get a chance to see what the result is and they showed us this is what we did with with the money that had come before and this is the improvement and that was really really neat um, to see that but we continued up the mountain and, um, and uh, had a little bit of a hike there. It, as we got to the top, we had to continue climbing and um, made it to the top and just found this wonderful group of people. And they said this was probably one of the poorest areas that we would visit. This is their stove that they would cook <laughs> with. I don't know how many of you would like to cook with something like that. Um, there was actually another place that we visited that had a stove and... Um, underneath it was the the pig pen and so the pig <laughs> lived underneath and then the stove was on top i've never seen anything like that in my life don't need but to go to the freezer this for your one pork. didn't have right the pigs under it this one was wow. uh, just used for a stove but um <laughs> some of you guys uh i wanted to share the next picture with you had um given me some some clothes to take over and give to the ladies um and they just as soon as they saw some of the stuff that we brought for them they just started crying and I just wanted to thank you guys for um, for your donations and, and sending stuff over with us and um, it just was very humbling to um, to see the reaction uh, of the ladies and stuff as they were picking out their different clothes um, another thing uh, we had some uh, Dollar Tree glasses reading glasses the reading glasses that were given to us and um, uh, Pastor Paul taught Stephen and I how to, to say in Spanish, is, it, is this better or is this worse, he would say. Peor um, o mejor. So we would go to the places and ask them to go get a Bible and open up the Bible, and we would start with a pair of glasses, and, and is this better 
or is this worse or and go through the glasses and it was just neat to see when they found that right pair of glasses that they could read a bible the look on their face was just absolutely awesome. priceless and it it so just good. makes you think about this dollar pair of glasses from the dollar tree the difference that it's making in their lives so that now they can read the word of god um my favorite part up there though was uh <laughs> With uh, being able to do a little juggling, I tried to use that as a way to, um, to get the kids and talk to the kids, and, and I made a couple friends. Uh, this is uh, Eve and Laura and their families, and um, I think as soon as I started talking to them in Spanish, I don't think they left my side until we left. They did not. And uh, just had a wonderful time being able to just um, talk to the girls, ask them if, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you have Jesus in your hearts? And the big smiles that they had, um, and to see their families. And um, they even followed us all the way down to the bus. And uh, I really like this picture. When we got back down to the bus, um, inside that bucket are um, pigs. <laughs> There's three <laughs> little pigs in there. And um, so we got done, and I was, oh, we went and looked at them, and then they climbed on the bus with us. Okay, the pigs are riding <laughs> with us. Like, this is exciting. So anyways, just all the interesting parts of the Cuban culture. Um, but the girls continued to wave goodbye, and, um, and it was just a really neat experience. So. These, uh, these two young men... Uh, on the left is Jose, um, and on the right is uh, Daniel. Daniel is Jose's cousin. Jose is a PK, a uh, pastor's kid. And uh, when uh, we entered, their church was in uh, Santiago de Cuba, uh, one of the centers of the revolution. And uh, we, I walked into their home and their church, and they were sitting there hanging out, nobody really talking with them. And uh, we just started having conversation. Uh, I, did, I did my best Spanglish. Uh, I don't know if it came across pretty well, but Daniel spoke English really, really well. We talked about uh, uh, football and baseball and music and just life. And they showed me their bedrooms and they were just sharing all kinds of stories and laughing, and having fun, and it was just, it was a wonderful moment. But I, I want to share with you, and I know we're, are we okay to continue? Is that all right? I, uh, it's 11.45, I know we're, is it okay? Is that a good consensus? I, you're like, man, no, I don't think so. We're, we're, we're coming closer to the end, just, um, but what was happening um, during our conversation is what I really want to share with you. Um, Enrique is the pastor and his wife oh man I'm going to butcher her name so I'm just going to call her E so as I'm having and Amy and I are having this conversation and, and they're showing me through their house and I'm, I'm meeting Daniel's siblings and um, Jose uh, his brother and, and his family E was having a conversation with Lionel uh, well, they were actually showing the rest of the crew the house. And as they showed the rest of the crew the house, Paul and this guy by the name of Bill from Florida who was on this trip, this was his third or fourth trip to Cuba. They were out of the bus. And Bill said to Paul, hey, did you see if they had like a computer 
or a tablet or an iPad. I, I didn't see anything on their desks anywhere. Paul said, well, I'm in here because did you see Enrique's phone? Well, I don't know about you, but the flip-top phone has been a long time ago. But even before the flip-top phone, there were the phones that had the rubber buttons on it. Well, that was Enrique's phone. And all the numbers on his phone were rubbed off. So he was texting and calling people by memory of what was on the pad, right? So Paul said, I'm in here getting a phone that my daughter had given me, an iPhone that my daughter had given me to give to a pastor in need. Well, Bill pulled out a tablet. The story goes is that about a year ago, March or April, there was a lady in Bill's congregation. He's not a pastor um, at all. And a lady just knew that he goes to Cuba and said, I have a tablet. Can you use it and give it to somebody in Cuba? He said, absolutely. So he took the tablet and he held on to it for a few months. And uh, when he went in to erase the tablet and clean it and all those things and get it ready uh, for Spanish and all that stuff, he didn't have the password. So he called the lady and said, I need your password. She forgot it. She couldn't find it. It took until about August, September for her, him to get the code and get everything squared away. Well, that conversation he was having with Leonel, she told Leonel, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this, and I'm just heartbroken, but I need to tell you this. Back in September, somebody broke in and stole our computer that had everything that we used for the church, all the finances, all the people's information, all the contact information. Somebody stole it. I've been praying since September, asking God to provide. I just wanted to let you know. Well, Leonel didn't know what Paul or Bill were doing. So after E had her conversation with Leonel, she went and sat down with Mary, Paul's wife, and just was having conversation. They know each other. And what E was sharing with Mary was, you know, God is good. God is really good. And He does answer prayer. And in fact, He knows what we need before we ask Him. But we still need to ask Him. This is just general conversation. She has no idea what's going on. Bill and Paul have no idea of what happened. They had no idea that in September, when Bill got the code, August or September, that he got the code, whether it was the same month or a month later, that her tablet, her computer was stolen and taken from them. And so, Bill and Paul walk in the room. Paul hands Enrique a phone. And what you see here is the moment that is evidence that God answers prayer. This is evidence that God knows what you need before you ask Him. This is evidence that God cares even for the simple things of your life. This is a moment that was an answer to prayer that actually took people to answer that prayer. You may say, well, it's the people that were, did this. It wasn't God. I can tell you that God knew in September, well before September, God knew in March and April before her tablet was stolen that she needed it. Bill had no idea. Paul had no idea. Mary had no idea. 
Leonel had no idea. And this woman, she had no idea what God was doing. I don't know about you, but I just want to encourage you to continue whatever you're asking God to do in your life or do for you, to keep doing it. It may take three or four months. It may take years. But God's still moving and acting. And this was the moment that her prayer was answered. That God used other people and prompted other people. They had no idea. And I'm just curious what Bill, conversation Bill's going to have with that lady that was prompted to say, hey, Bill, do you need this? Give this to somebody who needs it. I'm just, I don't even have Bill's contact information, but I'm just imagining of that conversation. So there's Bill right there uh, on the right side of the picture. He had no idea. He had no idea. Keep praying, folks. Keep praying for the people that you're praying for. Keep praying for the transformation that you're praying for. Keep asking God. He's working. He really is working. And He does care for you. So, I kind of want to wrap up as we move forward here. This was our landing into Holguin. This is one of those really old cars that has been souped up a little bit. And this is Louis. I met Louis immediately. Um, He took one of those bags of baseball gloves. We collected about 65 baseball gloves um, from here and our community. The Wapak Athletic Club was pivotal in this. Um, Winans was pivotal in this. Wapak was pivotal in this. You were pivotal in this. And so I gave half of those gloves to Louie to take back to Holguin, to the church in Holguin. And so uh, we took the other half on our treks for several days up into the mountains and into the cities. And, and these are some of the pictures of the, the boys and the girls receiving the ball gloves that you chose to donate or you know of somebody who chose to donate and uh, they were wonderful moments the moment on the right is Jose's brother that's Moses it was his eighth birthday when we arrived um, and when the tablet arrived to his mother it was a really cool moment Um, and uh, this is me kind of showing the young man trying to figure out do you show do you throw left or right which I, I don't know Derecha is your right. I don't know what the left is. So, exactly. Um, This is playing some ball out in the streets with some of the boys who had their new gloves for the first time. Posing with their gloves. So, this is a guy up in the mountains. We gave him about 12 gloves because he's really um, trying to impact kids. And baseball is his way to impact. These two gentlemen... Uh, Arnaldo's on the right, and I cannot remember the guy's name in the middle. Um, But both of these gentlemen have baseball teams that have no gloves, that now have gloves because of you. And these baseball teams are a, a key and pivotal moment to really elevate their community and really reach into their community for Jesus. It's as simple as baseball, folks. It's as simple as a sport. It's not complicated. And so... Um, babe, you want to kind of close in with this? So uh, how many of you kids were at VBA last year, this past summer? 
Hey, we up? We've got a few in here, huh? How many adults were at VBA this last summer? All right. Yeah. So it was you, awesome. You remember we were collecting the school supplies for the, the pastor's um, kids in Cuba, and uh, there was one church that we went to, and um, they said, you know, Amy, this uh, the little girl was coming home from church or from Whoop. school that day, and they said, "This is one of the backpacks that you purchased." And uh, here she is. We had, I believe, we bought her outfit for her and her backpack and all of her school supplies and um, and all of that stuff. But it was Price really right. neat to see that um, that you guys, because of your sacrifice and the funds that you brought for VBA, um, that the kids are being able to use that in Cuba. And she was very, very excited about it, very happy about it. And so uh, one of the things that we wanted to do while we were over there is, is there another project that we could do this coming year? And so you kids received a coin today, right, from Cuba. Raise your coin. Raise your coin up. That's to remind you that you can start saving your pennies even now. Go home and find something that you want to go ahead and put something in because this year we're going to give you a sneak peek into the project. This year our project is going to have to do with bicycles because the one thing that we discovered is we went to a church and we discovered, um, well, I mean, just looking around, uh, there's not very many cars, first of all, or ways of transportation that, that have to do with motorized. Most of the people walk everywhere that they go. Or if they're lucky enough, they have a bicycle that they can take a bicycle. Or if they're even more lucky, they have like a, um, like a motorbike, which we did that project uh, one year with the motorbikes. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of pastors that live kind of out in the middle of nowhere and they don't have anywhere um, or any way except to walk to go and to visit people or to go to the missions, uh, to invest in other churches and things like that. And so we met this pastor up in the mountain, and uh, he, uh, he, he was uh, from the Valley Church, which uh, Pastor Paul happened to have some Valley Church t-shirts, and so he went ahead and <laughs> gave him one of the t-shirts, which he was excited about. Um, but we heard his story about how he was, would really, really like a bicycle um, because he also has a mission that's about an hour bike ride away that he would like to go and invest in the community there, and he wants to visit his congregation. And um, we had received some funds from some of you that, that were given to us that just said, if you see somebody with a need that you want to go ahead and bless, go ahead and do that. And so we talked about it, and we thought this is the perfect opportunity Let's go ahead and give him some funds so that he can buy a bicycle, and let's just fix his problem now. He's got a bike. He'll be ready to go. And um, so we gave him that money, and um, that mm. was the reaction. He gave Stephen a big hug as soon as they translated and let him know that we were going to uh, purchase the bicycle. And so we got to talking to Lionel afterwards, and we said, Lionel, is this a big need for pastors in Cuba, a bicycle? Because a, a bicycle... Um, it was going to be about $200, I believe. Yep. And we're like, well, we've got the Penny March coming up. We can certainly raise enough funds to buy bicycles for pastors this summer. And so we asked Lionel, and, and he said that was a very big need for pastors um, in Cuba so that they can visit their congregations, they can start these missions. And so we decided that that's going to be our church project coming up this summer. So we want you guys to start saving now so that we can purchase a lot of bicycles for these pastors in Cuba. So, uh, 
we're, we've, we've come to a close on, on Cuba. Um, the stories are not going to leave us. And you're actually going to hear more stories as we come into the month of, of February. Um, because we're going to talk about the church. That would be you. We're going to talk about the church. Big C, little C, whatever type of C, Spanish C's, whatever. Uh, we're going to talk about the church. And you're going to hear a few stories from our trip about the church. Um, but you are really, really important to what happens around the world. And so I'd like for you to pull out for a moment your bulletin. And in your bulletin, not only do you have a wonderful pink slip, you're not fired. Um, Not only do you have a wonderful pink slip providing an opportunity for you to do some good for some international students, but there's this yellow slip. And if, if you're new to the Church of the Nazarene, um, and if you're new to Wapak Naz, we have this thing called Faith Promise. And what Faith Promise is, um, it's not your tithe. Um, it's, it's a promise in faith. And to, for you and me to partner with one another and with the many churches of the Nazarene, all over the world. Yes, even those churches in Cuba do this. Those churches that have very little do faith promise. What faith promise is, is above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings. It's a promise that over the course of the year, you are going to choose to give a little bit extra so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go throughout the world through the Church of the Nazarene. It's called our World Evangelism Fund. This equips pastors. This equips congregations. This enables missionaries to do what they do in the Church of the Nazarene, to go to the far reaches that you and I won't get to. I don't know about you, how many of you have been in Wapak or the state of Ohio your entire life and you've never traveled outside the United States? How many of that is you? You've never been outside the United States, even Canada. Raise your hand, raise them high, raise them high, real high, real high. If you've never been out of the United States, raise them real high. There you go. Guess what? This is an opportunity for you to be outside of the United States. You may not go there, but you may fund somebody going there. So faith promise. This is our faith promise. And what I'd like to ask you to do, I'd like for you to just take one moment. One moment. And we're going to have that moment in a second. And I'd like for you to ask God, what is it that, that I can give that's extra, that's above my regular tithes and offerings this year that you can use through the Nazarene missionaries to take the gospel across the world?
So I'd like for a moment of a pause. I'd like for you to bow your heads for a second. Now, if you're new here, and if you feel the movement of God to do that, great. We don't always ask of of your money. We don't always challenge you to do something like this. And so, if this is your first experience, just please know that. But this is of the utmost importance in our church. As with your heads bowed this morning, I would like for you to ask God, what is it? Is there a figure? Is there an amount? $5 a month? $10 a month? Whatever it may be. Or is there a large sum? $100 this year. That's what we're going to do as a family. Just ask God right now, Lord, what is it that we can do to advance the gospel. Give us a number. God, there are missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene that have been on this platform, in this church in the last several years, that have shared the gospel, that have shared their experiences, and the people that they have met and lives that have been transformed because of the funds that the Church of the Nazarene, local churches, give through faith promise. There are kids and families that have had medical issues that have been taken care of because of local churches such as Wapak Naz, these people who have given just a bit extra throughout the year. God, will you set an amount in each and every one of our hearts to give so that missionaries and local congregations all over the world are able to produce a harvest because of Wapak Naz and your people binding together, doing what we can only do together by our giving. With your heads bowed, if God has really moved you and spoken to you, I'd ask that you write that figure down, whatever it may be. I promise to give X amount per week, month, or year to Faith Promise. I'd ask that you write that on there with your name. I'm never going to bring it back up to you. We may mention Faith Promise, but I'm not going to knock on your door. I'm not going to email you. That's not what this is. I'm not going to hound you. I'll let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. What is it that we can do as a family, as a husband and wife, as kids? What is it we, that I can do as a single mom or a single dad? Or what is it that I can do as a grandma or a grandpa, a teenager, a kid? Write it down. All right. If you haven't come, you can look up now. I'm sorry don't mean to keep your heads bowed the whole time. Sorry about that. Um, if you haven't come to a conclusion, take this with you. One thing that I would challenge you to do, keep it in your pocket. 
Keep it in your pocket all week. All week. Ask the Lord, what is it? If you've never given to the Church of the Nazarene and to missions, maybe just start. Start today. Start this week. If you have a figure, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to take your paper, write that down, put your name on it, close it up. And then I would like for you to drop it in the joy boxes on the way out. Because what you're going to do is you're going to bring joy to other people in the world because they have received the gospel. They've heard the gospel. So would you please stand? I thank you for listening and being engaged this morning. I thank you for being a church that allows your pastor to do things like this. I thank you for being a people that loves one another. I thank you for being a people that is genuine. I thank you for being a people that is honest with yourself and with each other. I thank you for being a people that prays for each other. I thank you for being a people that welcomes people, whether you've known them or not, regardless of their past, their present, regardless of their belief system. I thank you for just being you, and I thank you for being salt and light and yeast. Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind? And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? We'll see you tonight at prayer. You have a wonderful day. We love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.